Welcome, listeners, to another episode of our podcast called Listen, Learn, and Love. I'm your host, Richard Osler. It's a Saturday. We're recording this podcast, and a wonderful woman's in our home, Brenna Hoffman. Welcome to the podcast, Brenna. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Um, by way of introduction, Brenna is a married mother of one. Uh, she, they have a nine-month-old boy. Um, they're in school. Brenda's husband, Christian, is at BYU in a master's program. So they're busy with school and raising a new child. Um, they've been married six years. Um, we're going to talk about Brenna's journey with um, faith crisis in particular. So Brenna is somebody that came very close to leaving the church, um, started to attend other churches and felt that her place is our church and will bravely share that story. She shared it in a Facebook post she shared with me. It's honest and vulnerable. So that will be one theme. Another thing will be unity that Brenna will talk about. And another key theme will be belonging. And I, and you, they, they may not be in the order. I just went through them, but by the end of the podcast, um, I think Brenna will touch on all of those and really validating people and their questions. So if you're going through a faith crisis, trying to figure out if you can find a way to stay in our church, or you're trying to help somebody, the things Brenna shares, uh, it's our joint prayer. Those will be helpful to you. If you can, the thing you can do to help this podcast, just leave a review at Apple iTunes. You can do a review two ways. You can leave a star review, one to five, and you can write a written review. The written reviews, um, I read every one of those and, um, on behalf of my guests and myself, we appreciate the written reviews. It's really the guests that are heroes. So when you read a, when you leave a review, it's just a way of honoring the guests that come on and share their story. Uh, Brenna grew up in Utah and Orange County. Um, they met, um, Brenna and her husband, Christian, met at a singles conference in Newport Beach area. He's a convert. They were married in the Newport Beach Temple, which is a temple my wife and I love. We love to visit Newport Beach. It's a great part of the world. And that kind of brings us up to where we are right now. Is that okay for a bio, Brenna? Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. So we'll just turn it over to you to start wherever you want to start. Okay. Wow. So I think I'm just going to start from the beginning. It's kind of a lifelong story how I've gotten up to now. So um, like you said, I grew up in Orange County, California. I am from a city called Westminster. Uh, a lot of people haven't heard of Westminster, so I usually just tell people Huntington Beach, but it's halfway between the beach and Disneyland. So that gives you a general idea. Um, and so I, I was raised in a pretty orthodox family. It was me uh, and my mom. She was born and raised in the church, comes from pioneer ancestry, the whole deal. And then my father is also a convert and he joined the church 10 years after my parents got married. So just a few years before I was born. Um, and then I have an older brother. He is 12 years older than me. Uh, and throughout my childhood and my life, my, my parents have both dealt with ongoing health problems. And so a lot of the time my brother kind of stepped into a third parent type role, especially my rougher teenage years. And I definitely needed that. <laughs> um, but he always approached it in a very loving way. And he was always a really good example to me, um, especially as far as I guess living in the gospel. And, um, but growing up in the church, I, have pretty early memories of nursery and primary. My mom was my nursery and my sunbeam teacher. Um, and after that, she taught primary for a really long time and she was really good at it. Um, 
but I loved primary. I thrived in it. I loved all the songs. I just really soaked in everything. I was taught. I looked forward to going to the temple one day because um, that's a topic that they bring up a lot in primary. And I was really excited about it. Um, so eventually when I did turn 12, I went to the temple for the first time, started doing baptisms, and I immediately grew to love it. And I loved how I felt inside the temple. And I always looked forward to going. And the end goal was always to take out my endowment and get married in the temple. That was ultimately what I looked forward to um, as someone who grew up in the church. But um, around the same time, transitioning in the young women, starting middle school, it's kind of a hard time for everyone. Um, but unfortunately, I kind of started not to fit in with the other girls at church. I felt excluded. They weren't always the nicest to me. Um, and because of that, I kind of slowly started distancing myself from the LDS community uh, and finding friendship with other groups, uh, other kids. And unfortunately, some of them weren't making the best choices. Um, and as time went on, I kind of distanced myself more and more from the church and started making not so great choices. Unfortunately, this led to me rebelling against my parents. Um, and part of this included not living in harmony with the gospel. Uh, but the interesting thing is throughout these rough years, especially my high school years, I still always identified as a Mormon. Anyone at school, if they asked about religion, I always told them that I was a Mormon. And if anybody ever brought up marriage, I always was like, well, yeah, I'm going to get married in the temple. Like, duh. So I guess even at that point in time, I figured, oh, well, one day I'll get my crap together <laughs> and get married in the temple. Um, but uh, kind of leading up to that point. So after I graduated high school, I started attending the singles ward and I was kind of going just to go. I wasn't trying to date anyone. I wasn't interested in Mormon boys. <laughs> um, I had a few friends there. And my aunt and uncle were one of the advisory couples at the time in that ward. So I had a small community there. So was kind of going just to go. Uh, but at this point, I still kind of considered myself inactive because I wasn't really living a gospel lifestyle. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading scriptures. Um, they're still making super great choices. <laughs> and uh but that summer, they announced a statewide YSA conference going on for the region. And uh, it was at the Stake Center next to the Newport Beach Temple. Uh, I had no desire to go. I had, it was a church thing. I wanted a part of it. But at this point, um, my brother and my sister-in-law, i could they were pretty concerned about me. I wasn't going down a great path. I was struggling a lot. And they told me I should go. They even offered to pay for my ticket. They just really, really wanted me to go to this. And I hesitantly agreed because it seemed like it was really important to them. Uh, and I remember I only knew one person there. So I kind of just clung to that one person that was there the first two days. Um, and then the third day, I guess he wasn't there or something. And it was just a fasted testimony meeting. And then afterwards, I just sat in the foyer waiting for my brother and sister-in-law to come pick me up. Um, and I was sitting in the foyer and this is, ended, this is when I met my husband. He, this wasn't the day he asked me out. He was casually dating someone at the time, but um, I'll be secondhand telling this story for my husband because he's not here. But this is a really key point for both of us, especially spiritually. This is kind of where God intervenes. He, uh, he saw me sitting in the foyer and I caught his eye and I guess he thought I was out of his league. So he just kept walking. I 
don't think that. <laughs> I thought he was really cute. But he has kept walking, and he said that the spirit stopped him in his tracks, and he heard verbatim, stop, go talk to her. Um, so he did. So we went and got lunch, and we talked, and we got along really well. He told me I had pretty eyes, and to this day, he insists that he wasn't flirting, and he was just trying to be nice. But anyone I've told this story to thinks he was flirting, and I do too, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> so to say the least, I was shocked that he didn't ask me out that day. He didn't ask for my number. Fortunately, it turned out we were in the same singles ward. Um, we just never seen each other, I guess. But I was really grateful that I would get to see him again because his kindness and his gentle demeanor just made an impression on me and I developed a crush on him. So for four long months, every Sunday, we saw each other at church and it never went anything beyond exchanging the most awkward of pleasantries. <laughs> but the day before New Year's Eve, we finally ran into each other in the foyer again and just had the chance to talk and catch up. And going off of Christian's story again, the night before, uh, the girl he'd been dating, he'd been broke, had broken up with him. And uh, he said he was done having his heart broken. He, he said he told God that he was done looking for someone and that he was leaving it in God's hands. So, I mean, we ran into each other the next day. We spent the whole first hour talking and catching up. We ended up ditching Sunday school and walking across the street to Del Taco to get lunch. <laughs> um, we hit it off and our conversation flowed really well. And it was like we'd known each other for years. And so we headed back for third hour and he finally asked me out on a date. And a few weeks later, we became official and we had a great time just getting to know each other and dating. I wasn't taking it too seriously because I was only 18, but my feelings for him were growing pretty strong. But um, a month or two into dating, it hit me that he probably hadn't served a mission. He just joined the church um, a couple of years before, and he was 20 years old at this point. So I figured if he was planning on going on a mission, he was going to do it soon. But at 18 years old, I wasn't, I didn't want to wait for someone. I wasn't equipped to do that. So I figure, you know, as much as I like him, I should probably figure out where our future is going. Um, and we were walking through the mall. I think we were in Whole Foods, the most random of all places, but I just, we were talking and I just stopped and I flat out asked him, are you going on a mission? And this is where kind of God steps in again. It turns out up to this point, he had been planning on going on a mission. Uh, he'd been saving money and doing all the things he needed to do to prepare to go on a mission. And when I asked him, he immediately felt prompted that he needed to stay home with me. Um, so he told me no, that he wasn't going on a mission. And he knew in that moment that if he went, when he came back, I wouldn't be at the church at all. And probably not even just in a good place in life if he went. So he didn't go on a mission and he stayed home with me. Um, and in general, Christian was a really great influence on me and my family could see that and they could see me making better choices, uh, living a life more in harmony with the gospel and just becoming a happier person. And uh, but as our relationship grew more serious, we both started thinking about marriage and I, I knew he intended to get married in the temple. And that was something I always had envisioned for myself. So with Christian's help, I got back in the habit of daily prayer and scripture study. He lovingly had any questions answered any questions that I had. Um, I became very strong in my faith. I started going to the temple again regularly to do baptisms, and I became very active in church. And my testimony was the strongest it had ever been. And uh, 
this is actually a realization that I had when I was writing out what I was going to say for this. But two days after our two year uh, dating anniversary was when Christian asked me to marry him. And that that's how long he would have been gone if he'd gone on a mission. Wow. So those two years he spent at home with me. Uh, and that's when we started preparing to get married in the temple. Um, so at this point we started taking temple prep classes. We had multiple interviews with church leaders and we studied as best as we knew how, um, because we'd both be going through the temple for the first time together. And I felt so ready and so excited to experience something new in the temple that I hadn't experienced before. I'd only done baptisms up to this time and everything in life and everything you're taught in the church, it, it kind of leads up to the endowment and eventually getting sealed. That's kind of, I guess not the end point, but a really pivotal point, kind of what you work up to your whole life. And I was from everything I'd heard and everything everyone told me, I was expecting to feel the closest to God I'd ever felt. Um, so two weeks before our wedding, we took out our endowments at the Los Angeles temple. And I remember really enjoying the initiatory and especially seeing how women were involved in priesthood power. But unfortunately the endowment was very different and it ended up being very painful for me. Um, as the session went on, I felt more confused and overwhelmed, hurt by some of the words, scared by some of the covenants I was making. And a lot of it just seemed unnecessary to me, I guess, it, and threatening. It was just very different than anything else I'd ever experienced in church. And at the end of the session, I was tearing off or tearing up and fighting off a panic attack. And I, I thought I was going to pass out. By the time I got to the celestial room, I was bawling my eyes out. And through my tears, I tried my best to explain to Christian and my family that was there how I was feeling. And they were very kind and understanding. But at the time, I also don't think they knew the extent of the anguish I was feeling at this time. Um, it was really hard when... Afterwards, I talked to the temple matron, some of the other temple workers, trying to explain how I was feeling and why I was upset. And I could tell they just didn't get it. They, they didn't really comprehend why I was so upset. Uh, and a couple of days later, I met with one of the temple presidency. And, and while he was kind, I could tell he just didn't understand either. Um, and I guess didn't understand why I had some of the questions that I had. And... So at this point, I felt like there's something really wrong with me because I'd done everything I was supposed to do. And I felt like I was in such a strong place in the gospel. And I was expecting this to, frankly, be one of the best days of my life. And it was one of the worst. Um, so at this point, I, two weeks before my wedding, I was ready to leave the church because I'd had this high expectation of what my endowment would be. And I was so disappointed and depressed and not a lot of people seem to understand. And it was really isolating. Um, I just never felt further from God. And I began to question everything I knew about the church. Um, I managed to get it together enough to go forward with our wedding in the temple. Uh, a week before our wedding, I did another endowment session, this time in the Newport Beach temple. Um, and it was a little bit easier since I knew what to expect. Um, that still wasn't my favorite thing. And I think also something that helped the Los Angeles temple is so big and so beautiful. And there are like a lot of extra rooms from what I remember. And I think there are just a lot of different things that kind of added up to that. But, and also the film was better the second time. 
I remember an issue I had with the first film. Everyone in the film just seemed really kind of robotic, I guess. And so that's what I expected heaven to be like. And I was like, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. <laughs> so the second film, the, frankly, the acting was a lot better. And I think it was a newer film. And overall, it, you know, I still didn't thoroughly enjoy the endowment, but it was a much better experience than the first time. And that gave me a little more confidence uh, going through with my wedding in the temple. So um, we got married and I... We went to the celestial room and through the ceiling, I was able to feel the true peace of the temple. And it was just a wonderful day being married to my husband. And uh, we went on our honeymoon. We actually went to Salt Lake City and we did a session at the Bountiful Temple while we were there and did an initiatory for my grandmother in the Salt Lake Temple. And after this, I started going to the temple pretty often the first few years of our marriage because that's what everyone had said to do to keep going. And I would understand more. Um, and I did enjoy my time doing initiatories or just sitting in the celestial room. I love the celestial room. Uh, and while the endowment did get easier, it wasn't in the way that I wanted. Um, I never became truly okay with what the endowment was. I kind of just numbed myself to the things that didn't feel right to me. Um, so as time went on, there were other things happening with the church that just didn't feel right to me. Um, a main one being the policy of exclusion, just different things that general authorities had said that bothered me, things having to do with how the church was run, treatment of LGBTQ members, things like that. And I, I would come to terms with one thing, have it be okay with sitting on my shelf for a while, and then something else would come up. Um, in about three years into our marriage, we moved to Utah. So my husband, Christian, could attend BYU. And having to deal with all these things and living in Utah where the culture is this kind of, you know, you have to be perfectly believing, non-questioning member kind of made dealing with all of this a lot harder. Um, and my testimony started to waver heavily. And my strong points were kind of just times where I put all of my issues on a shelf and pretended they didn't exist. But that only works for so long. And... For the most part, anytime I brought up issues or criticisms I had of the church that bothered me, I never really got a good response. It was always either judgment or immediate defense of the church or just primary answers, I guess you'd call it. Um, I had a few understanding friends, but overall, I didn't really feel like I could talk to people about my doubts. Um, but these last few years have been the hardest for sure. Moving into a new ward, a few months into that, the pandemic starting, Right after the pandemic starting, we found out I was pregnant and it was a very difficult pregnancy. It was, we'd been planning to wait till we were done with school to have children, but we had felt prompted that we were supposed to start our family. And throughout my difficult pregnancy, I felt like I was being punished by God because I had been prompted to have this baby and I didn't understand why I was being punished for it. Um, but just that and a lot of different things. Uh, seeing people be very judgmental and aggressive with political issues um, and having people distance themselves from me when they'd realized I was maybe, you know, a more nuanced Mormon or if I posted things in support of the LGBTQ community, um, anything like that, I would see people delete me on everything, uh, distance themselves from me. And I was just trying to do the right thing. And it was just really isolating seeing that and i kind of just didn't feel like i belonged and that along with a lot of my questions that were going unanswered 
um, all the things that were on my shelf, it kind of just became too, too much to deal with. And earlier this year, my shelf finally broke. Um, so I decided earlier this year that I was done with the church. I had no desire to try and make it work anymore. I felt like the church no longer aligned with my values. Uh, I knew I still had a testimony of God and of Jesus Christ. I had felt them work in my life and I, I couldn't deny that. So I still considered myself a Christian. And I remember telling my husband was really rough, especially as a convert. I feel like converts, since they choose it for themselves, like especially my husband, like his testimony is like untouchable, I feel like. And so I guess I felt like I kind of tricked him or something. You know, he'd married this girl who had grown up in the church and he was probably expecting his life to go a certain way. And now I was kind of throwing that off for him. Um, but we started marriage therapy. We got to a point in our marriage where as far as being in a mixed faith marriage, we were doing pretty good. Uh, and it, at one point I had made a list of every single issue I had with the church and he responded wonderfully. He, he told me, I, I don't agree with every issue on this list, but I understand why you would feel this way. And that meant a lot to me. I, I can't emphasize enough that empathy and validation don't equal agreeing. You, you know, because obviously we're going we're all going to see things differently and people who struggle with the church, they're all going to struggle with different things and we all just deal with different things in life, but just showing your love and your support. And even if you don't understand trying to understand or just showing that you're there for them, that goes so much further than just agreeing with them. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, but at this point I, Cause like I said, I didn't really feel like I belonged. I, and leaving the church, I still wanted some sort of fellowship and I still wanted spiritual experiences on Sunday. Um, so my husband and I came to an agreement that two Sundays a month, I would go to our ward with him. And the other two Sundays I would start going to another Christian church. Uh, so I found, uh, a wonderful non-denominational Christian church in Utah County. And I, I felt really welcome there and I was very open, you know, with my LDS background and they were just happy I was there. And a lot of my time in the church and the LDS church, I hadn't felt that I felt like belonging and acceptance was conditional. And I didn't feel that at this church. They were like, you believe in Jesus? Cool. Like you're welcome here. Whatever you believe you were happy you're here and you're a friend of ours. Um, and that meant a lot to me. Uh, but throughout this time, I started reading the Bible more. I started watching sermons on YouTube by all sorts of Christian pastors, listening to more worship music, getting involved in the community at this new church. And I was so happy. Um, I actually felt like I belonged and this church. It had all kinds of people, people who'd never been members of the church, people who'd left the church, people in a faith crisis like self, people in mixed faith marriages. There was just a whole mix of different kinds of people. And we all just belonged. We knew we loved Jesus and we could bond over that. And I enjoyed the simplicity of what was taught straight from the Bible. Um, and I'm a very musical person. I've been singing, playing guitar, piano, as long as I can remember. Um, 
And I've just always felt the spirit strongest through music. So this powerful music, uh, the fact that there was just a good 15 minutes of just worshiping God um, through music was really something that just fed my soul. And I know that kind of music, I guess, can be looked down upon sometimes by members of our church. Because uh, I guess it's not reverent, but the way I, I guess I see it for myself um, cause reverent, the definition of reverence is deep respect. And I believe along with that goes humility. And when this powerful music, you're kind of just surrendering yourself to God and you kind of just feel him. I feel like that's ultimate humility and reverence right there. So that's kind of just how I see it. And, um, I love hymns too. Don't get me wrong, but just experiencing something different than I experienced my whole life in the church. It was just really powerful. Um, but I, I felt the spirit going to this church too. And that was a relief to me because growing up in the church, um, so many people that told me that when people leave the church, they leave the spirit. And I, I knew that couldn't be right because, you know, my friends, people on social media, people on TV that weren't members of our church, um, who were Christians, I could, that obviously had very strong relationships with God. I, I can't deny that, you know? They didn't grow up in the church. They're not members, but they saw these really strong relationships with God. So I was like, I know that it's not something that's exclusive to us. Um, so it, it solidified my belief that we're all trying. And when we believe in God and his son, he, he will meet us wherever we're at. And going to this church, I felt the fellowship that I'd been craving all these years um, that I didn't often feel within the walls of the LDS church unfortunately. Um, and a few years back before we moved to Utah, uh, I attended a non LDS church for the first time. I, uh, I work as a photographer and one of my first gigs, I guess, was photographing a baby dedication, which is kind of like an equivalent to an LDS baby blessing for a friend. Um, and this ended up being a shaky point in my faith crisis where I questioned my involvement in the church because this is my first time going to a not LDS church. And immediately I just felt so welcome. I, I could feel God's love and people I'd never even met being so interested in me and just being happy. I was there. Um, and I just never felt that welcome in my own church. And that stuck with me for a long time because I mean, growing up, I heard a lot, you know, the church is true. The people aren't, or the church is perfect. The people aren't, um, and I feel like that kind of screwed me over in a way um, because it's really the gospel. It's perfect. Not the church. The church is run by imperfect people. Um, and while focusing on the gospel rather than the people at church, you know, I get that. And that's important. But also when you go into a room and you're surrounded by people that you feel like you're being judged by, how can you feel the spirit? You know, so it. um so it kind of makes sense that through all of this, that I would seek out another church in my faith crisis. Cause frankly, if I hadn't, I, I could have seen myself abandoning Christianity altogether, despite my belief in God and Jesus Christ. I just needed some sort of connection and that's where I found it. Um, eventually I started opening up to a few friends and telling them that I was stepping away from the church and they were, they all responded with so much love. I eventually, though, I, I felt like I needed to tell my mom. Um, 
she's my best friend. I, we're so close, and especially how horrible to, I was to her in my childhood and through my teenage years that we've come so close. I, I'm so grateful for that. And we just, we talk almost every day and I, I felt terrible keeping this from her, especially because her testimony in the church is so strong and she believes it with her whole heart. And I knew revealing this truth to her would hurt her. Um, so I called her one day and I told her everything. She responded with so much love. Because she'd, she'd seen everything I'd gone through and the hurt that I dealt with at the hands of people in the church. Um, and I don't think she was surprised. I, I could tell she was heartbroken, which is an understandable and valid response. But she honored my journey and she encouraged me to see what else was out there and to find out what I believe. Because um, especially growing up in the church, I don't think she wanted me to blindly believe as culture kind of wants us to sometimes. And she shared with me her experience that she had around my age where she decided she needed to figure out her testimony for herself. Um, so she understood that I was doing what was best for me. and. So that was just such a relief knowing that my mom had that unconditional love for me. And I, I know that unfortunately when many people share with their loved ones that they're stepping away from the church, they don't get the same responses like this. And they're, they're often met with judgment and defensiveness and sometimes even having these people distance themselves from them. And my heart breaks for those people because I feel like there's this huge misconception where leaving the church is the easy way out. And my decision to leave, what well, I thought long and hard about it. And it was one of the hardest things I'd hardest, one of the hardest decisions I'd ever come to. Cause I, I know the kind of judgment that can come from it and the isolation and um, it's not easy by any means. Um, but support, respect, validation, they, they don't mean you're agreeing with the person in their choice. Um, obviously, my mother and I had made very dis different decisions uh, as far as staying in the church or leaving. She has remained an active believing member her whole life. And I was choosing to step away. I was making a decision that she herself obviously wouldn't make, um, for herself, but she respected and honored me using my agency. And she understood why I'd made the choice I did and tried to understand how things I've experienced have led to my decision. Um, and she validated that. And you don't even have to understand everything the person is going through and the choices they're making, but trying to understand will go so far. Uh, like I mentioned before, with my husband, the way he reacted when I'd shared with him my major issues and why I was stepping away, he flat out told me that he didn't agree with some of the things on my list, but he respected my feelings and he validated them. And you can support those who have left and it doesn't affect your standing in the church. We're commanded to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those in need of comfort. There are baptismal covenants. And it, I mean, this is really just good life advice in general, no matter what you believe. But I, I think it's really neat that we're literally commanded by God to be empathetic. Um, 
And this kind of goes to where I'm thinking about unity today. Actually, I uh, was studying a talk by Sister Eubank. I love her. She's a queen. She's amazing. Um, Her talk, I believe it's called By Union of Feeling, We Obtain Power with God. Um, And I have actually haven't followed up with conference much in the last few years throughout my faith crisis. But um, a month or two ago, there was a Relief Society lesson on this talk. And it just really stood out to me. One thing I love about the talk, um, as she mentions, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters keeping their names safe. Um, promising that you'll never speak ill will of them, that when they share their struggles with you, that you won't talk poorly of them, that you won't. One thing that I brought up in this lesson in Relief Society is along with keeping someone's name safe, just making everyone feel safe, being mindful of what you say in public spaces in the church, in Relief Society, in sacrament meeting, in Sunday school, um, not speaking ill of people who are struggling, people who don't fit in, you know, LGBTQ plus members, because what you say in public spaces can show to someone who uh, is looking for a safe person or a safe space that shows immediately whether you're safe or not. And we need to keep everyone's name safe. We, I think we all need to do a better job of making church feel like a safe space for everyone. Um, There's another talk by Elder Uchtdorf. I can't remember the name of it, but I love where he says that your test, there, there isn't a sign on the church that says your testimony needs to be this tall to enter. There aren't any requirements as far as what you need to do to enter the church, what you need to do to feel welcome. And one thing I've really had to remember, and I know this is so hard and no matter no matter what anyone says or does on this earth does not change your worth in the eyes of God. And I let the actions of others and the words of others get in the way of my relationship with my heavenly father. And I know it is not easy to, you know, I know it's not easy to just forget what other people do and have that relationship with heavenly father. It's so hard because like I said, when you're sitting, um, when you're sitting in the chapel and you feel like everyone's looking at you or everyone's talking about you, or you feel like you just don't belong, you, you can't feel the spirit that way. So you have, you really have to find a balance. Um, but um, going back to my journey, a few months ago, I started to feel the draw to become more active in the LDS church again. And at first, I kind of just felt like, oh, I need to help create safe spaces and make things, you know, uh, better and safer for others who wanted to stay in the church that were struggling. Uh, but one day it just hit me. I think I was sitting at my desk at work and I heard the words verbatim. You are not done. 
And I knew in that moment I needed to stay and try and work through my faith crisis again. I needed to figure out for sure what I really believed, especially so I would know what to teach my son. I, uh, I don't want him to go through the same things I went through in the church. And I hope as time goes on and he goes into primary and young men and on his mission or whatever he chooses to do, I want him to feel the love of God and by union of feeling, I want him and everyone else to feel the power of God. Uh, so kind of where I'm at now, shortly after realizing my time in the church wasn't done, that I wasn't leaving after all, I felt very prompted to share my story. And I was scared because it's a really vulnerable thing to do. And, you know, even sharing opinions, that I guess, kind of stray from the norm in the church. I felt like I was judged often time or, you know. So I was scared to share that I guess I'd, you know, I'd strayed away or I wasn't this cookie cutter Latter-day Saint. Uh, but it was 12 o'clock midnight and I just, I couldn't shake the feeling that I needed to share my story and everything I'd been through up to this point. So I just pulled out my phone. I wrote a very long, heartfelt, honest caption. Um, I made a quick flat lay of like my scriptures and some picture prints I had and took a picture. Um, and I shared it to my Instagram and my Facebook and I went to bed. And when I woke up, I, I was not expecting the response I had. I woke up to tons of texts, messages, and comments from friends and family, all varying levels of activity in the church, and even some who'd never been members, uh, thanking me for sharing my story, some that were going through faith crises themselves, and shared with some even shared with me that they'd left the church. Um, and I'm just really grateful that my story that I guess I didn't think was a big deal. I don't feel like my story is anything spectacular, but I was able to resonate with so many people in different places in their faith journey and then their lives. And a few days after that, it was fast and testimony meeting in church. And I haven't borne my testimony in a long time. And I'm definitely not one to volunteer to speak in public. <laughs> uh, but I, again, felt prompted to share everything that I'd been through. And especially, you know, in this ward, I hadn't always felt like I belonged and didn't always feel welcome. And I, so I was scared, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I had to go up there again and share my story. And so I did. Um, I, one thing I really focused on when I was bearing my testimony um, is that it's okay to not know. I feel like culturally in the church, especially in testimony meeting, when you hear, I know, I know, I know over and over again. And if you know that there's nothing wrong with that, and that is wonderful. And if you know for yourself that the gospel is true, I'd, I'd love that. And I think that's wonderful, but that's just not everyone's experience. Um, so I, instead of saying, I know in this testimony, I shared, you know, I don't know but these are the things I believe, you know, I can't say that I know the church is true, or I know that what happened to Joseph Smith is true. I can't say that I know those things. There are things I believe and things I want to believe. And one thing I shared in my testimony and that I want to share now too, it's kind of a small 
moment, I guess, in the scheme of things. But it's something that just always kind of stood out to me. Uh, like I said, my brother, he's 12 years older than me. And I want to, I was like nine or 10. He was filling out his mission papers. And being the sneaky little sister I was, I took a peek at them. <laughs> and um, I happened to glance at the last part of his papers. And I, I think it was kind of just like an essay question. Why do you want to serve a mission? And I happened to spot the sentence where my brother, he wrote, I don't know the church is true, but I believe the church is true. And 10 year old me only ever having heard, I know, I know, I know in church. I was kind of like, wait, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> um, and I asked him about that. I was like, what do you mean that you don't know? And you just believe in you know, I don't remember exactly what he said, but, you know, he didn't feel, I guess at that point, he didn't feel like he could say that he knew yet, but he believed. And because of that belief, he wanted to spread the gospel. And recently, my, my brother, he shared this talk with me that I hadn't heard. It was by Elder Holland. Um, I believe it's called Lord, I Believe. And... I think he even shares in that talk that President Hinckley, he didn't know either when he went on his mission. He went on his mission with just belief. And I think that says a lot about a person that um, when they're willing to sacrifice those two years, um, when you don't even know for sure yet, that's a lot. That's a huge sacrifice. And... I think back to Elder Holland's talk and I think he quote, I can't remember what verse it is. He quotes Alma, but it's something about the desire to believe. You just need to have the desire to believe. Even if you don't believe it's okay, but the desire to believe and the desire to want to try and take your faith further is what matters. Um, and that experience that I had with my brother going from that point, it kind of gave me permission along the way to be okay with not knowing. And obviously, you know, it's hard to remember sometimes when you go to church and all these things happen and everyone just seems so confident in their testimony, especially where we are. We're in a married student ward in Provo and BYU culture is just interesting BYU is a wonderful place, but at times there can definitely be like this unspoken standard that you need to know everything for sure. And everyone's a returned missionary that um, knows for sure. And that's not me. I, you know, my husband and I, we didn't go on missions and I don't have this perfect testimony. I'm still trying to figure it all out and I don't know what the future has for me. Um, cause I mean, it's not even a commandment that we need to know everything. I, like it says in that verse in Alma, you simply need the desire to believe. And I just really want to open up the conversation and break the stigmas around questions and doubts. Um, and I feel like because of what I've been through, I'm able to do that. I'm, I'm not at a point where I can say I'm happy that my faith crisis happened because it's been hard, but I can see now that why God put me through this because I've already been able to help other people and that 
has been wonderful. I didn't think that what I'd been through would lead to that. So, um, <laughs> I, um, so along with that, a few, probably a month ago, I started an Instagram account. It's at Brenna Believes. You're welcome to follow it. I'd love to have you. Um, and I just share different thoughts about being in a faith crisis, ministering to those in the faith crisis. And I share different experiences I've had, what's been most helpful, different scriptures and quotes. And I'm very transparent in what I share there. And I've even shared things uh, more recently. I know a lot of people have struggled with Elder Holland's address at BYU. And uh, I have too. And I, in this one post I shared, I just, this is where unity is so important again. I, you know, I won't share my feelings about his address, but what hurt most in all that experience was, I guess, seeing the lack of empathy, seeing the division. There was a lot of divisiveness around people's feelings to that talk. Um, because a lot of people were hurt by it. Our LGBTQ siblings were hurt. And someone in an Instagram post, I can't remember who it was, they said something, you know, if you drop accidentally drop a hammer on someone's toe, like it still hurts. You can't say, oh, because I didn't mean to do it, you don't hurt. No matter the intent, people are hurting. And I feel like this has been an opportunity to practice our baptismal covenants. Um, and so that was kind of what I shared in that post. And it got a good response too. And I was able to have some, I've just been throughout this whole experience sharing my story. I've been able to have a lot of really productive conversations with all kinds of different people. And we don't always see eye to eye on everything, but I feel like um, just being transparent has served me a lot more than I thought it would. I, especially with growing up and being bullied and not always feeling like I belong. I'm, I'm working on it, but I care a lot what people think of me. So a lot of my struggles with the church and just other life struggles, I have not been necessarily willing to open up about them. And my husband is grateful that I finally, he's kind of been like, Brenna, I've been telling you for years that you need to be more open with people. <laughs> Because now I finally have, and it's been so good. And um, recently I read both Ben Shalati and Charlie Bird's books. They were both wonderful. And a theme that was in both of them was kind of once they were open about their sexuality and um, once they were just transparent and were, you know, just shared who they were, this they felt this freedom and this weight kind of lifted off their shoulders, it seemed. And I can relate to that. I feel like now I don't have to hide anymore. And I want everyone in the church to feel that way.
and my heart breaks for those who feel like they have to hide that they feel like they don't have a place in the church. And I'm still trying to figure out my place in the church. Um, But to those that don't feel like they belong, um, no matter what anyone says at church, no matter what anyone does, there is a spot for you at the table. There is a place for you in Christ's church. You mean the world to your heavenly parents and to your savior, Jesus Christ. And there are people in this church that will walk with you, that are allies with you, that will stand beside you, um, that will mourn with you and comfort you. Um, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> And I just want everyone to feel our Savior's love because I know that's not the reality for everyone in the church. I, I just want everyone to feel like they belong. And I want everyone to find their place in God's kingdom. Um, and I think that's really all I have to say right now. I'll turn it to you, Richard. <laughs> that was just terrific, Brenna. Thank you. Um, it's not easy to just do that, um, but you did a great job. You were very prepared, but it's content that you know really well that's been in your mind and your heart for a long time, and you did a great job of sharing it. And Lots of listeners are probably like me that wrote down little phrases you've said, and I'll just highlight for listeners what you, some of the things that you said that really popped out to me. Um, you, one of the things you taught us is that empathy is empathizing and validating people doesn't mean you have to agree with them. And I've learned that we can do that. Um, and it helps he- help people feel heard and understood. Another thing you said, which was pretty honest, is I felt belonging and acceptance at our church was conditional at times. And I thought that was pretty honest. And I think it's accurate how many members, some, many feel. Um And then you were very honest when you started to connect with other Christian churches. I felt the fellowship I've been craving all these years. That isn't a sign of weakness. That's just a sign of a human need to belong. This is the belonging episode of our podcast is I just think people need to feel like they belong in our culture as you're, as you've experienced firsthand, isn't the thing that's separating you from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was our culture. Not a desire to not, I may have missaid that backwards, listeners. I think you knew what I meant. But um, sometimes we have this iron, I wrote down, so those are some of the things you said. And my wife and I were visiting her brother in Texas on Longenbau was the name of the street. And there was this church that had a big sign out that says, you belong here. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good sign. Um I think our restored church has this unique restored doctrine. That's the thing that's keeping you connected to our church. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think you need kind of both for many of us, we need both the unique restored doctrine that came through the prophet Joseph Smith. That's part of the restored gospel. But then you need to feel like people like you belong at church. 
and people that have different life experiences and don't fit the cookie cutter, don't have an I know the church's true testimony. And so I think that's one of the things our church is really working on. And I love Sister Eubanks' talk. One night I went on a long walk and thought about Eller Ballard's talk about stay in the boat, which I like the message, but I thought about all the things I can do to help people stay in the boat because I realize a lot of people just like you are actually trying to stay in the boat. We just sometimes need a bigger boat. Um, I thought of that a lot. I thought we need to make the boat bigger so more people can feel like they belong here. And that would be people with different political feelings, people with different testimony types, like Elder Uchtdorf teaches, people with just life experiences that are different. Unity and diversity are different, as you're helping us understand, that we can be unified in our desire to come into Christ through, you know, our and and sort of find unity even in the differences of all of the members of our faith. And there shouldn't be a litmus test to feel like you belong in the boat. That there's, you know, and sometimes we get in. And so I just think a lot about that. I've also been thinking about um, the tools that bring converts into the church, maybe different tools that keep us in the church. You know, I've thought about that because we often resort as those of us that have served missions or those of us that even join the church as a convert, like your husband Christian, those tools may be different than the tools to keep somebody in the church. It may be a different set of tools. And that's why I love my brother's book, Ministering to Those with Questions. Um, it's a whole different set of tool book of tools often you need if there's somebody in your life. They may be reading and praying and studying the scriptures and going to church and doing everything. In fact, some of the people I meet, like you, Brenna, um, are doing that in spades and and don't need that advice anymore. But what you need is people to sit with them and hear the complexities of your story. So um, this is kind of a podcast invitation to follow Sister Eubanks' great talk, to create space for people where they are, and to recognize that um, our hearts knit in unity, that scripture in Mosiah to me doesn't mean it's all the same people that are all the same worldview with all the same sexual orientation or gender identity or political party, that our hearts knit in unity is Corinthians 12, where every part of the body of Christ, every part of us are equally needed, men, women, and and that doesn't go away when we're unified. That still is part of the knit together. If we could visualize the knit together, it still has all that beautiful diversity that create the strength that we're trying to create. So I, you just have a lot of really powerful insights. And um, I wish I'd heard a podcast like, I wish I'd heard your story kind of at the beginning of my own faith crisis that happened later in life. And I'm now at the point where I'm glad I went through it. I have a sustainable um, way going forward in the church, but it was painful and it was difficult, but it was never about wanting to leave the church. It was wanting to reconcile some of my questions and really feel like people like me are fully welcome at church that don't have a, that have sometimes different political feelings or a different worldview or different, but still sustain and support all of our doctrine. And maybe I've mentioned this, but I've been thinking a lot about the iron rod Brianna, and then I'll turn on. I've been thinking about the great and spacious building, and I've wondered if at times I'm the person in the great and spacious building that's actually making it harder for people to hold on to the iron rod with some of the things I say at church. I think the narrative is that those that 
can't hold on to the iron rod. It's because they're weak and they can't keep the commandments. They actually don't want to hold the iron rod. But I've become a little more nuanced and thinking at times in my life is my pride that sort of is symbolizes the great and spacious building. And some of the things I might say at church or about those that have questions or those that are in different political parties than me or those that whatever um, are LGBTQ friends is that is my pride represented by the great stations building, actually making it harder for them to hold on to the iron rod. And then if they let go, I just put it all on them versus look inward and say, what should I have done better? One of the things I think about when we are in the true church, does it, this is kind of a research question. Does it make it harder for us to look inward and say, what do I need to do to improve? Because if that's part of our narrative, which I agree with, I believe the church is true. It doesn't make it harder for us to look inward and say, what do I need to do? Is is there a risk that we get in that great and spacious building because of that knowledge and are less likely to learn and less likely to grow and less likely to look inward and say, what do I need to change? Elder Ballard actually talked about in his last conference talk when he was talking about more than half of the members of the church are actually not married And he said, he kind of used some phrasing, we need to let go of kind of old ways as we move forward. And so what are the old ways I need to let go of? So I just, it's a really good podcast, Brenna, that just helps us all look inward and say, what can we do better to create a feeling of belonging? Um, Everybody, it's it's a basic human need to feel like you belong. It isn't a sign of weakness. It isn't a sign of like, well, you're just tough up and just enjoy church. Even if you don't, we all need to feel like we belong. It's a basic human need Mm -hmm. and our doctrine and our culture need to kind of meet that for all us to, I think, really enjoy the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anyway, I kind of went off on 10 minutes (laughs) and I'm going to turn it back to you for your final thoughts. Uh, And kind of going off what you said, I, after sharing my story. And then recently I also wrote an article for LDS daily on how to minister to those going through a faith crisis. And after sharing my story and having some friends and loved ones read that article, I had a few people, you know, I, you know, say to me, I said all the wrong things. I did all the wrong things. I am so sorry. And don't beat yourself up about it. I mean, if we all knew perfectly how to minister to everyone, you know, we wouldn't be dealing with a lot of these trials, but that we don't know. It's that's why we can ask questions and just it try kind of to comes understand. back to that idea. We go to the, maybe the toolbox we use to bring people in the church mm-hmm. and the toolbox, <laughs> this sounds manipulative to keep people in the church are different tools. Exactly. And that's why I'm glad that you're writing and helping every, helping all of us understand better. Yeah. And so if you don't do things perfectly, that's okay. Just be open to learning and even ask, how can I best minister to you? How can I best serve you? What can I do that would be helpful for you in finding this place in the church or whatever your goal is? How can I best support you? And that will mean a lot more than saying or doing everything perfectly. Just being willing to be the love and minister that that person needs. That's what's most important. That's great. Um, will you tell our listeners your Instagram account and 
So it's at Brenna Believes, B-R-E-N-N-A Believes, all one word. Well, this is just a great podcast. Um, We talk about the wounded healer that can authentically lead people out of the desert because they know the desert and you're that or all that in some ways. We all have woundedness that comes into our life that's part of mortality, but using that in a positive way to help others is what you're doing. And I don't want to imply that there's any sin involved or any, it seems like you've been really working hard um, to reconcile this. I think it's one of your finest moments to be where you are and to be able to talk about this and help people and be so vulnerable and honest and authentic. And, and, but it's also allows you to be the wounded healer, which is, and I love your thoughts about you want to being authentic creates a feeling that other people are safe to open up to you. And we all kind of know those people in our lives. Every ward has people in our lo- wards have those kind of people. You just know they are safe. And it's partly maybe their comments in church or their testimony. And you just know you could talk to them. So um, thank you for what you're doing, Brenna. And um, I just, you know, we need you. And I'm speaking to those of you that are walking Brenna's road. We need you. And I try to be pretty affirming on whatever path you feel is best, but I really believe in our restored doctrine. It brings hope and healing. Um, I have a great testimony of the uniqueness of our restored doctrine. And I recognize there's a lot of people trying to um, find a way to continue to make that work in their lives, but there's sometimes a, a challenge between our culture or some of our current or historical issues. And um, But where you are is a sustainable place going forward. Um, I kind of call it falling forward, that this is um, the new reality for you, and it's a good reality, and it allows you to help so many other people. So uh, and anyway, for those of you that are listening, um, I hope, I really believe what Brenna shared is helpful, and I'm grateful for wonderful people like Brenna that are in our church and stepping forward to share their stories to help us improve. So with that, unless you have anything else you want to add? Um, I think that covers it. Thank you so much. So this is Brenna Hoffman and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.